1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? I beg of you, begin an investigation. Based on what? Your imagination. It was obviously a suicide. Never trust the obvious one. Uncle didn't kill himself. Before a lifetime of adventure came the adventure of a lifetime. What's your name? Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. That was a girl. Brilliant deduction, Watson. Steven Spielberg presents Young Sherlock Holmes, directed by Barry Levinson. There is a clever murderer on the loose, and I am going to find him. I might get caught, and that would mean trouble. You would have trouble ruin an opportunity for adventure. <laughs> Tell me a hallucination. Maybe not. Before the legend began. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I have the absolute pleasure of once again having my good friends, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, on here with me. And, you know, before we started, I said, I keep saying it that way. I think I do it alphabetically. I said, this time I'm going to say Ruth and Darren Sutherland. There you and, go. And I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just in my mind. I just alphabetize it. <laughs> Ruth so knows she me, always Ruth. comes first in reality. <laughs> so so <laughs> she's never thrown off by that. She knows she comes first. There you go. Well, I always look forward to talking to you guys. And really what it comes down to is I, I look for an excuse to get together and talk. And recently, uh, and I want to talk a little bit more later on about it, but recently you posted some pictures uh, with the cast of young Sherlock Holmes. And I happen to be a fan of that movie. So I said, let's do this. And shockingly, you both were up for it. 
Oh, happy to. So excited to be here. Yeah, that was an easy yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's just start off with how we first uh, experienced this movie. Now, this was in you know 1985. There were I, I was looking at a list of movies that came out right around the time of this. So movies that would be in the theater at the same time. There were a bunch of big name movies out, and I had probably seen. Of the movies that were out at the same time, I had probably seen seven or eight of them in the theaters. Uh, mm. You know, this this was just one of them. And what happened was I had gone to Houston with some of my friends uh, to see a, a – was it Houston? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, it was definitely Houston because it was December. Uh, we had gone to see a football game uh, at the Astrodome. Mm. And our flight home – was going to be in like the late afternoon and we had nothing to do and we had some time to kill. And it was like, well, what are we going to do? And let's go see this movie. And we went in and we, we, it's so, you know, I'm in a, in a strange state and I have a bag of luggage with me and I'm sitting in the movies watching young Sherlock Holmes. And I'll tell you, I loved it then. And I continue to love it. Uh, So that was my experience with it. How did you guys first see this one? Oh, well, that's a great memory to share. I appreciate you you yeah, telling us about that. That was a much more interesting story than ours. <laughs> we were we were dating at that point in time. And, and uh, I just I have loved anything Sherlock Holmes for so very, very long. And I remember when early on when you and I were dating, you learned about my love for Sherlock Holmes. And then the next thing I know, you were reading all the Sherlock that's Holmes stories. That's right. Before then, I had only read like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Those were the only mysteries I had read. And then Darren... Uh, shared with me about Sherlock Holmes, and yeah. I fell in love immediately uh, with the books. So I was excited that there was something, you know, going to be in the movie theater about Sherlock Holmes, and I was, you know, game to go see. Yeah, right. So we, you know, we were dating, and we, uh, I don't even remember which theater we, we saw it in. It's like we, we lived, the little town where we both lived at that time when we were growing up had only a second run theater that uh, was only open on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. So um, we might have seen it there, but occasionally what we would do when we were dating is we would drive an hour and a half once a month to the Tri-Cities, Bristol, Kingsport, Johnson City, and we would make a date day out of it. We'd go, we'd eat it in a nice, you know, eat, eat a meal and uh, go to a movie, go to Mountain Empire Comics and uh, just have a nice day of it. So that's a possibility that we saw it there, too. I don't remember <laughs> But it was just a it was just a date for us uh, mm-hmm. locally. A little bit of nostalgia there, going back some years. <laughs> yeah, so we both we we all all both all three of us have some nostalgia attached to this movie, and I don't want it to be that our opinions of it are swayed by nostalgia, and I don't think they are. I'm gonna come out right up front. I think this is a very high quality movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think I'm just influenced by nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of Sherlock Holmes in theory. Mm. Uh, I find the character to be fascinating. I've seen numerous movies, TV series, different things where he's been portrayed. Uh, I have not read his books. Mm. I can't claim to be an expert on Sherlock Holmes's lore, uh, but I find the character to be fascinating and and I am a fan in that regard. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, sometimes I think for a, for a movie like this, that might be an advantage since this isn't true to the continuity, you know, that uh, that, that Sherlock Holmes had by Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, I think somebody who's truly into the, the books and everything might be a little turned off by the, uh, you know, the, the 
things that, that just don't, you know, jive with the, uh, the history in the books. Right. Uh, but I don't know how you guys feel about it. Cause clearly you are bigger fans than me. I would say for me, I'm totally okay with it. So I've read all of, you know, all of the stories, all of the books, uh, but I'm happy to have somebody take a respectful approach to the character and bring to life some of the things that are really true to the spirit of the stories and to the spirit of the source material. Uh, so for me, very satisfied, you know, throughout the movie with nods to, you know, what was in the original stories. And it was very respectful to me to try to get those characters, but just a younger version and a different point in time. Yeah, that, that's so well said. I mean, it's the same thing with me. Yes, I I love the original stories and I've read them many times. But at the same time, I look at Sherlock Holmes as, as sort of as Conan Doyle might have considered it himself you know the the character became larger than him and i think the character is larger than the 60 stories that he wrote and uh, i think that's really what has led to the character being alive for you know 150 years and uh, being the most filmed and adapted character in uh, you know most adapted character in film uh, is because of the fact that the character grows and changes and the stories grow and change and Ruth used the word respectful. That's what I think. It's like, to me, I don't feel that everything needs to be exactly like it is in the 60 stories. I just think it needs to be respectful of the creation and to put a new twist on it uh, or do an alternate reality of it. Like, you know, with with what happens here, I'm all for it. I'll see any and every Sherlock Holmes adaptation that comes on film or TV. I love some of them. I don't love some of them, but I give them all a try because I just love the character and the idea of it. And it's neat seeing what uh, different writers and creators come up with for it. I got to say a couple of years back, Tina and I went to see the Sherlock Holmes. I think it was Holmes and Watson or whatever it was called with Will, Will Ferrell and, uh, And John C. Riley, and that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That, and I don't know. I don't know if you guys appreciated it any more than I did, but you couldn't have appreciated it much less. Yeah, that's a. I'm really glad you brought that one up because that's actually one I avoided. Uh, and it's not that I mind comedies because oh, Gene Wilder's Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother mm-hmm. is a fabulous film. I absolutely love. It makes complete fun of Sherlock Holmes. And I absolutely love Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother. So I have nothing wrong with a comedy making fun of Sherlock Holmes. But when that one came out, I have never heard or read so many stories of people walking out of the theater in the middle of the movie. And I just thought, eh, I'm not going to spend money on this. So I haven't ever seen it. I should probably watch it on streaming. I'm sure it's free somewhere now. I, I honestly think it's one of the ones that you'll watch and say, well, that's whatever it is, an hour and a half of my life. I'll never get back again. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> it's not good. One of my favorite uh, lines that I've come up with is, when free is too expensive for something, that really a lot. Wow. <laughs> I, I love that phrase. <laughs> so, you know, I... I, I if you watch it, I'll be curious to see what you think of it, but you can't say you weren't warned. <laughs> Thank you. So let's go to this one now. Uh, again, I had, I had seen this. I've probably seen this about five or six times over the years, uh, but I hadn't seen it in probably about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the thing that jumped out at me when I watched it 
to prepare for today is I had always seen it as kind of akin to uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with some of the storylines in this. Mm -hmm. uh, and and now I feel like, boy, this was Harry Potter. <laughs> ah. oh, that's a neat perspective. I see those elements too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, and there is a, yeah. a huge co connection because this is written by Christopher Columbus, who directed the first two Harry Potter movies. That's right. right. And uh, uh, he's written so many uh, movies that I I like over time. I like his imagination and I like his storytelling. Uh, you know, maybe his scripts aren't always as tight as you might like. Uh, but the thing is, is they're always um, fun adventures. Uh, I, I enjoy a lot of his movies. And I really do see what you're saying about the Harry Potter connection with mm -hmm. the boarding schools and some of the locations, you know, where they filmed were exactly that type of architecture and feel mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to have that setting. And even some of the the challenges with the the young ones getting along, like if there's bully characters or people that are trying to play uh, rotten tricks on each other, stuff like yeah. that. Well, like yeah, the character now. of Dudley is oh, so gosh. similar to Malfoy. Yes, <laughs> yes. And and see now you have completely convinced me that there needed to be seven or eight of these movies. Oh, <laughs> so. I would I would go and see all of those. Yes. I have very very little doubt that they made this fully anticipating that they would at least make a trilogy. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately it mm -hmm. was not a big box office success. Uh, uh, what's listed on Wikipedia would be enough to consider it a success, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, but from what I've heard, it, it was not, you know, it, it definitely was a disappointment because on, on Wikipedia, they list the budget as 18 million and the box office is 63 million. So I'm thinking, you know, more than three times the bu budget should be considered a success. Uh, but apparently they did not. And, you know, I, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here. But the post credit scene, mm -hmm. uh, which is only the second movie I was ever aware of that had a post credit scene, uh, the first ah. being Carrie, mm -hmm. uh, that clearly says to me they planned on making a sequel. Yes. Certainly, yes. Yeah. And uh, unfortunate that they did not. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with what you're saying, too, about the box office, Paul, because uh, all I can think is at that point in time, the domestic box office was so much more important than the international box office because uh, I think it its performance was so disappointing in the U.S. that being financed by a U.S. studio. They just never were willing to consider a sequel, even though it made so much more money in the rest of the world uh, that it, like you said, it was more than three times, which that's usually the trigger for a sequel. So, um, but it's just the majority of that money was uh, not domestic. And it's, it's a shame that that's the way it sort of went back then, but I think that's what happened. Yeah. And it, this, this is not a cast that I'm particularly familiar with outside of this film. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think I've seen in passing, you know, every once in a while here or there, I've seen them. Uh, but at least as, as I understand it, most of their work has been in, uh, you know, things that you would see in England, not so much mm -hmm. in the States. Uh, so I, I think that's, I don't, I don't think it's that they're not an accomplished cast. I think it's just that they're not a American friendly cast, so to speak. You're exactly right. Yeah. All of the four leads are 
um, very prolific in the UK. Uh, you, they've had really nice long careers in the UK doing a variety of stuff. But you're right, it's not the it's not even the type of British shows that are mainstream enough that they're on in the U.S., you know, like a, a Doctor Who or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they're all very well-known actors over there, but not at all known here other than this movie. I agree. Now, I, I have two criticisms of the movie. And I was uh, uh, let me let me actually put that in perspective, because, as I indicated earlier, I am very fond of this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I watched it, I was trying to say, well, what would I criticize? I actually mm -hmm. was searching for things to criticize. Mm -hmm. And the two things that I came up with is one, uh, Nicholas Rowe in particular seems a lot older than 14 or 15 to me, mm -hmm. which is about how old he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say he, at, at a glance, I would put him at about 19, mm -hmm. maybe 20. Uh, and, and I don't know how old he was when they filmed this, to be honest. Uh, but just I'm just talking about appearances wise, because if he was 40 and appeared like he was 14, I wouldn't care. Uh, and the other thing about it is I would have liked to have seen the character of Watson mm -hmm. be just a little bit more competent. Uh. Yes. Uh, he, he was, he was a little bit too. I, I don't even want to say comic relief, uh, a little too bumbling in some ways. And, and I feel like. To be, to be Sherlock Holmes's, you know, brother from another mother, uh, which is really what he kind of, you know, he is. I think he needs to be in his own way exceptional. Yeah. And I don't think they show him as exceptional in this movie. He is, uh, he is charismatic, and I like him. Yes. I just think the characterization is slightly off. Uh, boy, I agree with every word you just said there, uh, Paul. That's probably my biggest disappointment with this movie as well. And I guess it's because at this point in time in 1985 that most Americans still knew the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce movies where Watson was comic relief. Uh, you know, Watson in the original stories is not at all comic relief. Uh, he's he's very competent. Uh, sure, he doesn't have Holmes' deductive skills, but he's a very competent doctor. He's a very competent assistant, a very competent, um, you know, uh, a sounding board. Um, and the thing is, is especially in the books, you know, Sherlock Holmes suffers no fools and he would not deal with a Watson like Nigel Bruce or uh, as in this portrayal. And I always felt that same way. I was like I was waiting for, you know, every time I watch this movie, actually, I, I'm waiting for Watson to come to you know his his needed point you know where he actually does something heroic and he sadly never gets it he's just there like you said for comic relief and but at the same time i don't fault the actor at all you know he does a wonderful job with the role he's given but it's probably the one thing that's the furthest from sherlock holmes that i would have changed yeah i think i think it's you know comic relief and even more so than comic relief he's a uh, uh a vessel for exposition. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because they let him narrate it and they let him ask, well, Holmes, why are you doing this? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, so I, you know, and he's new at the school so that, you know, he, he you know, he's he's our point of view character. Right. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I just think they just needed to show him as just a little bit more exceptional in his own right. And I think that would have improved the, mo improved the movie that I think is already really, really good. 
Well, yeah, I agree. I completely. agree. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. missed opportunity. If they'd had, you know, two or three key yeah. scenes that they could have put in to, to show, show him that. grow over time or even uh, to show why Sherlock Holmes found him endearing. And uh, yeah, they, they spend so much time on that, uh, you know, the bear out the window um, uh, riddle. <laughs> Just like, oh my goodness, that, that riddle wasn't worth uh, hearing it the first time. And uh, they stretch it out for the whole movie before he finally gets the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. It's not so exceptionally clever that you need to to wait the whole movie to hear the answer. But, right. you know, I guess that's to show some growth on Watson's part. Uh, you know, the, I think, you know, the, there's an interesting character arc for Holmes uh, because, you know, he. You know, they, it's, it's almost more tell than show, mm. but I think it's it's. There's an element of his personality where they keep saying, you know, he's being controlled by his emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the uh, was it the Rafe uh, kind of points it out when they do their uh, their, their fencing things, and you, and you don't really see his emotions, but you do see how hard he's trying to kind of reel in and and focus all the time. So so there is an uh, you know I think it's a, a subtlety to his performance, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as the story develops, and I don't want to give away too many of the uh, spoilers for the actual movie because I'm hoping people will hear this and actually watch it. Yes. Uh, but by the end of the movie, he's decided I'm not going to be emotional anymore ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of his character arc for this movie and, and his uh, – I, I don't know if you call it character growth, uh, mm-hmm. but it's where he's growing into the Sherlock Holmes that legend has. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. It's such a good point. You can tell that Chris Columbus wanted to tell a story that is, you know, is like the origin of why Sherlock Holmes is the way he is as the adult when we know him in the, uh, the other stories. So this movie certainly establishes that. I agree with you. They don't really show him being particularly emotional. He does. He does sort of laugh and smile a couple of times and do a couple of fun things here and there. But he's pretty even tempered most of the time but yes you're right you know there has a lot of times that wraith points out his emotional nature and then of course there's the one big important part of this story that establishes why holmes is in many respects as an adult the way he is and we'll, we won't give that away now either because that's such a big important part of the movie but um i really like the way chris columbus sort of said i'm going to create an origin story for this and he created one that again, I go back to Root's word, that's respectful of the source material. Sure, people can quibble and say, well, in the books, Sherlock Holmes and Watson meet as adults. So, you know, you can't watch this movie because here they're meeting as as uh, teenagers. But I, you know, I dismiss that immediately. And I just go on the fact that he still wrote a great movie, a really fun movie about, you know, Sherlock Holmes beginnings and how he became the, the person we know in the books and I loved it I think I think what you know and I'm thinking about this a little bit as we're talking about it and it's kind of like occurring to me that he could have easily written just a young Sherlock Holmes adventure mm-hmm. and it would have been perfectly fine uh, mm-hmm. and and it would have been a, a, a you know could have been a very enjoyable movie to watch mm-hmm. but what he did was he presented kind of an origin without banging you over the head of, with the fact that it's an origin because yeah. he's already, you know, he's, he's already, uh, you know, 
supreme in his ability to deduce facts. Uh, you know, he, he already is the, you know, the character to a great extent. And we're just seeing, like I said, a character arc for him. Uh, and we're also getting, you know, at least some fan service to some of the traditional things, you know, the, <laughs> the deer stalker hat, the, uh, the pipe, uh, you know, that, that are such famous, uh, attributes of the character right. uh even you know the term elementary my dear uh, watson uh <laughs> you know at one point uh, it's one of his uh, mentors says elementary my dear Holmes." you right. know so you, you see where he got that from uh and and I, I you know it's to me it was this movie even though there's some heavy moments in it is just fun yes and Absolutely. that really is the, the biggest part about it to me i just have fun watching this movie yeah, me too. I mean, this this movie is is fun from beginning to end, with one exception. Uh, but you know, it's just it's light and it's adventurous and uh, it's charming. It just pulls you along and it pulls you right into the story from the very beginning. It's sort of like you know, as the camera zooms in at the beginning into Victorian London and the snows all around, and you see the shadow, uh, you know, cross across the street. I mean, by the time it gets to that point in the story, you're sucked in to this adventure and you're having fun watching it. And it has some real emotional beats, but it's a fun adventure primarily. I I do like the word charming, so I would echo that. And also with you, Paul, about the fun. Like I kept thinking to myself, you know, this was a fun scene. That was a fun moment. Like lots of things to just really enjoy along the way time with the characters and things that would happen and then you throw in action you throw in adventure and a mystery like what a great formula for a movie for me yeah and and just because i made mention of it earlier some of the action adventure slash mystery parts are reminiscent of what we get in indiana jones and the temple of doom which I, I i don't know if maybe that's something to do with steven spielberg being a producer on this movie if somehow he steered it that way or or what but it never feels like a ripoff of that to me. It almost feels like something that could be occurring at the same time. Yeah, very exciting and very entertaining. And, and just a year or so after that movie, uh, but it is, it's so much like that in, in so many ways. It has to be some of Spielberg's influence. And um, it, it's just, it's funny. You can almost say, well, it, it was half young Sherlock Holmes and half young Indiana Jones. <laughs> I could go with yeah. that. And the score, like this score oh, the was so exciting through there and, yeah, yeah, that's that's something perfect. I was going to make mention of. The score is by Bruce Broughton. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. And I wasn't familiar with him by name, Mm-mm. but uh, he he has quite a resume. And I'm just trying to look over a lot of TV stuff, but I wanted to go to the movies. Uh, Silverado. Oh. Uh, I'm just looking for for you know big na- bigger name ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Betsy's Wedding with Alan Alda, mm. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Home, oh. <laughs> Homeward Bound, which is a, oh, yeah. a, a kid's movie, but it's, I, I think, if I remember right, the score in that is, is very yeah. good. Nice Tombstone, oh, wow. Tombstone, which is a big one. Uh, the remake of Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, uh, it looks like he, the last thing he did was in 2017. Let me see if he's still alive. He is. He's 77 years old. Uh, I think the movie, the movie, the, the score has that 
whimsical adventure feel to it and you do have kind of a, a repetitive uh tone to it where it keeps you know it goes back to the same uh thing every once in a while right and it does have that light-hearted feeling and that's exactly the feeling i think they want you to have from it and i think it, it you know it brings that along and as is very important to me it's not uh it, it's never in your face uh, so I, I, I think the score, you know, does definitely add to this movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I love the score. Um, I, interestingly, I don't have the soundtrack, but I'm surprised I don't because I love so many things about it. it it's just another thing that helps carry it along and make it feel fun and adventurous. Now, I mean, just talking a little bit about the, the, uh, the resumes of the people on this movie. I mentioned Steven Spielberg. We just talked about the score. Uh, it's directed by Barry Levinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time he was, this is his third movie. His first mm. was Diner. His second was The Natural. Then this. Uh, and then subsequent to this, he did Good Morning Vietnam, Tin Men, Rain Man, uh, Bugsy. Uh, and I'm not giving everything. I'm just looking for like the big names again. So, you know, I mean, he's he's got quite a resume as well uh, with uh, I believe he won the Academy Award for Rain Man, if I'm if I remember correctly. Uh, so, you know, he he's certainly to call him a competent filmmaker would be to sell him short. Oh, gosh, uh, yes. And, and I think he does a, a, a real nice job in this. I think the the cuts the pacing the shots it's all very easy to follow the story but it also creates uh an excitement level and and it's it does something really well where it, it there's almost an excitement level to things that might not otherwise be exciting you know when when holmes is is solving a mystery and he's trying to figure things out you could see where in in amateur hands that could actually be a slow ponderous moment and it never right. is in this movie uh, that's such a good observation. I hadn't thought about that at all. That's really key. We uh, producing producer wise, uh, one of the producers on this is one of my favorite uh, Hollywood people, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. Yay. I was yeah. so happy to see his name. That was fun. Yeah, I believe this is the first movie he ever produced. Uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Winkler at a comic convention about, I don't know, probably about nine years ago. And what an absolute pleasure he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's, you know, sometimes you meet people who you uh, who you've admired over the years and it's a disappointment because, you know, they, they just don't put on their, the, the positive face when you see them. But I walked away a bigger fan than I stepped up. So that's always a great wow. thing. That says a lot. It's he's he's an impressive gentleman, I tell you. Uh, you know, he's been around and done so many things, and so all uh, you know liked by so many. I love that you have that good impression of him. I know I was always amazed to learn, you know, that he suffered from dyslexia and couldn't even read his Happy Days scripts. People had to read them to him and record them on cassette for him to memorize. And to think that now, you know, he writes books for kids with dyslexia it just you know shows how much he gives back he's just a all-around great guy yeah that's i definitely think so uh and one of one of the things i always got a kick out of was uh you know he was the fonz so the fonz could do anything anywhere anytime <laughs> anyhow uh and yet when they were making happy days uh gary marshall 
in an attempt to keep, you know, his otherwise fairly young cast from going out and doing things that would get them in trouble. Uh, when they had downtime, he would have them play softball. And for, by all accounts, Henry Winkler was like the worst softball player ever, <laughs> uh, which, which, you know, I, I don't want to revel in his lack of ability, but I just find it amusing that he played the ultra, ultra competent, <laughs> I can do anything person on the show. And yet, you know, he, he would have been the one uh, when they broke up into teams that, you know, they were picking everybody else before they got to him. <laughs> wow. uh, so I just I just find that that contrast to be somewhat amusing. And hopefully it doesn't bo- hasn't bothered him over the years. That's such a fun That's story. Fun. I had no idea. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> so now, you know, we, we I mentioned earlier, you guys had the opportunity recently to meet some of the cast members. Oh. And I'd like to touch on that if you can. Oh, my gosh. What we an were, amazing. Yeah, we were very fortunate. <laughs> very so, fortunate. So we were we were in London. It was our first international trip since before the pandemic. Our first international trip, I think, in three and a half years, we went to London, um, which is a, one of our favorite places to go. Uh, while we were there, we met up with uh, three different friends, just at different points of time. One is our friend Paul, different Paul, Paul, who lives in <laughs> Belfast, uh, our friend Austin, who uh, is is in the army. He's currently stationed in South Korea. He came over to London and spent some time. Paul came over from Belfast and spent some time. We have another friend, Linda, uh, and her family, Nick, and uh, that live in in London. So we got to visit a lot of fun people while we're there. And Paul and Austin are just like us because they love, you know, all this sort of stuff that we love. And they go to conventions, you know, when they can. And so while we were there, the London Film Fair was going on. And that's a convention. They hold it twice a year. And Paul goes to it whenever he can. And um, he's like, OK, you guys are going to be here then. We're going to go to the London Film Fair. So we were excited to just be going to a convention in London. We didn't even bother to look to see who the guests were. And we <laughs> were in line. We pay for our admission and we get given the guest list and the the four headliners at the top are the four stars of young Sherlock Holmes. So you had Sherlock Holmes, Watson, Elizabeth, and Moriarty <laughs> there. So chime in, Ruth, with what you were thinking. Oh, about. it was just so exciting. Like, never knew who we would, we would get to meet when we were there. So couldn't top that. Yeah, I mean, we just, we walked in and it was just like, oh, we can't believe this. It was a gift to us to get to to do this so we, we walk in and it's funny they, they split them up very nicely they were smart they had Nicholas Rowe and Sophie Ward in the very first room you enter right near the front and then Alex Cox and Anthony Higgins were in the very back room as like so like as far away as you get so to make sure that people that were there to see the four of them had to walk past everyone else while they see, were there the thing is I'd want to take a picture with all four at once <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, they had photo ops. <laughs> so, and were you able to do all four? We, I know I saw pictures, but I can't remember exactly what I saw. We did. We did get to do a photo op with all four of them. So they had they had their photo ops scheduled very nicely, the four of them solo photo ops back to back, and then a group photo with all four of them was the last uh, one. So that's – and it was the last photo op of the day too, wasn't it, Ruth? And we got to watch them hang out while they were waiting for the group photo op, and they were just – chatting and reminiscing and we could kind of overhear some of the conversation so that was fun it was i mean it was such i could use the word gift again it was such a gift to us we couldn't believe it because we love this movie and then first time we go to this convention not even know who it is and the four of them are there uh, and then mm. they were all so nice uh, that was just the i mean 
Nicholas Rowe, um, he was the first one we came to. You know, he stood up and, you know, wanted to shake our hands, had a nice conversation with us, just really pleasant. And then we moved right over then to Sophie's uh, table right beside him. And, you know, she hears our accent. She wants to know where we're from. She's really excited to hear where we're from because she's been to the U.S. and she'd been through North Carolina. So she wanted to reminisce about that. And then when we were in the line for Anthony Higgins and Alex Cox, who were side by side, we got to hear the two of them just chatting. And just hearing the two of them chat together, we learned that Anthony Higgins is a good friend of Alex Cox's father. So he used to come over and visit when uh, Alex Cox was a kid. So they've known each other, you know, their his whole life. And uh, but this was the first time the two of them had seen each other in years. So they were catching up on things. And we just got to overhear that. It was just a delightful, delightful day. They were, yeah, great. they were very pleasant and appreciative of fans. So they were excited. You know, people were wanting to talk with them about this film and some of the other things they had been in. So yeah. I think they were having a wonderful time themselves. Yeah, yeah. So they, it was really nice, but it, it wasn't too crowded. So it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was easy to get to see everyone in a relaxed atmosphere. And then, like you said, getting to do the photo ops, they did hang out with each other while each was having their photos done and then did the one together. Yeah, okay. that's you know what? I'm, as as we're talking, I'm looking on on Facebook and I see the picture of the two of you with the four of them. Uh, and every, everybody looks very proper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's so nice to hear that it was such a, a pleasant experience. That's you know, like I said with Henry Winkler, you know, when you meet these people who you're a fan of, uh, it it becomes even more special when they're uh, you know when when they turn out to be nice people. Yeah. And I would be happy for these actors to play these same roles again present day. Like they could slip right into their characters and give us a new movie. I'd be happy to see a new sequel now. And uh, it is funny, though, to think about because Nicholas Rowe um, in in the the Sherlock Holmes movie with Ian McKellen playing the the older Holmes who is suffering in his uh, older age, he goes and sees a movie. He goes to watch a movie about Sherlock Holmes, the character, and they have Nicholas Rowe play Sherlock Holmes, the adult Sherlock Holmes in that movie. So that it's fun that Ian McNeese, the real Sherlock Holmes, is watching Nicholas Rowe as the character Sherlock Holmes on a mm. movie screen. Oh, so, that is cool. Yeah. But yeah, I would gladly watch all of them in another movie now. Sure. Yeah, you know what? And, and none of them, you know, it, it, even though we're talking about something that was made close to 40 years ago, Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't gotten old enough that they couldn't play these parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't play young Sherlock Holmes anymore. Uh, right. <laughs> but they could. he could still play Sherlock Holmes. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm just thinking, like, for the characters, and, you know, I was talking earlier about my exposure to the characters. I think my favorite portrayal of Moriarty mm-hmm. is on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. I'm okay with that. I really enjoyed that character and the way they portrayed him on that show. Yeah. I always loved the the Sherlock Holmes connections in The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's good fun stuff for me, too. Yeah, there I am. Just, you know, anywhere Sherlock Holmes is, I'm on board with it. So that's a great connection. That works for me, too. Uh, Anything else about, oh, you know what? I was going to say anything else and start wrapping us up. But we, I, I just left out like something that was very important to bring up. Mm. And that was the special effects in this movie. 
this movie was groundbreaking for oh, yeah. CGI. Yeah. And right. it was done by John Lasseter of Pixar. Right. Uh, and I believe it won an Academy Award for the special effects, particularly the stained glass man. Yes. Uh, which is just an excellent special effect. And again, nearly 40 years ago, does not feel dated. I agree with you. Oh, you're so right, uh, Paul. When we rewatched this movie, we rewatched it this past weekend. And when we rewatched it, I was just like, man, the effects in this movie are still so good. Most of them are practical effects, but they hold up really well. And then that CGI effect, you know, they really were smart to do something like that with CGI because it's not supposed to look like a real person. But it, boy, it looks like a real piece of stained glass coming to life. It's stunning. Absolutely. Yes. And, and that's that's exactly my thoughts, is that they kept it as a two-dimensional character, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. only they have it walk-in screen. It's the first ever, to my understanding, computer-generated character in a, in a full-length movie. Uh, and I just find it interesting that John Lasseter is the person who, I guess, I, I'm sure he did it with, with many, many uh, people mm-hmm. working with him, but he was the... I guess in charge uh, when they when they did this, and it, it really is uh, spectacular to watch. And it was again groundbreaking, and I believe it won an Academy Award. So uh, I, I was remiss to not bring that up because there are other special effects that are, you know, that are eye catching and that are, are well done. Uh, mm-hmm. But I believe that's the only computer generated one. I think everything else is practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard criticism, and, and I will give away a plot point here just to kind of explain to anybody who hasn't seen the movie. Uh, people are being shot with these darts that mm-hmm. cause them to hallucinate. Mm-hmm. So at one point, this stained glass character, so there's a man in the church, and there's a stained glass window, and it's got a char- like a knight with a, a sword. And because he's hallucinating, that knight jumps off the stained glass uh, window and down into the church and starts coming towards the uh, character. Uh, and there's other scenes uh, in there. And there's one, uh, and again, this is the one that I've heard some criticism of, and I really don't really agree with the criticism. Uh, there's a scene with Watson where he sees all these pastries and they oh. start like coming towards him. And I, I believe it's, I believe they're claymation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I think it's, it's, it's a fine scene and it's kind of, you know, it, it's, Certainly not as frightening a, a prospect as uh, a stained glass knight coming at you or some <laughs> of the other things that people hallucinate in the course of the movie. Uh, but it is something that he might have a nightmare about yeah. because he, he's he's shown to be you know a little pudgy. And I don't want to overstate that, but he's probably a little self-conscious about his weight. Nope. Uh, and, and that's why he might have you know nightmares about something like that. Uh, although it does bring images in my mind of Homer Simpson with the donuts, if you know the scene that I'm talking about. <laughs> it's um, I, I really appreciate you bringing up both of those scenes, that one that's so stunning. And the other one, it's funny, I, I have been lucky to have not heard those criticisms of that scene. And I would agree with you if I heard them. I would agree with you completely that they're not valid criticisms because, yes, I think uh, he is, you know, people comment on uh, that a couple of times during the course of the movie, so it makes perfect sense for him to be a little self-conscious and that that would be the hallucination he would have. And I think it's done to really comical of 
you know, I guess, scary comical effect. Uh, and I especially like that later on when, it, you know, there's a, uh, a pastry on his <laughs> plate <laughs> later on and he has a great comment about it. It's a great scene. Uh, anybody who criticizes that needs to find something else worth criticizing more. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I stand by my earlier statement of the only two criticisms I have of the movie and that neither one of them uh, truly took any entertainment away from me on it. Right, right. So now that I've successfully well, corrected my mistake, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Yeah, just I want to throw in just a couple of other members of the cast because this is it's so special to us because of a couple of other things we're fans of. So I'll throw in a couple of other minor cast members. Um the actor Patrick Newell plays uh, Bobster, the, uh, one of the very first characters that you meet in the movie. And um, we're big fans of Patrick Newell because he is from what we love, the British espionage series, The Avengers. He played Mother in that, who was the John Steed's boss. So it's delightful to us to see Patrick Newell in that. And, um, and then an even bigger cast member is Nigel Stock, who plays Elizabeth's uncle. Mm-hmm. I forget his character's name, but Elizabeth's Rupert very... Rupert <laughs> Very fun uncle, uh, who is such a wonderful character. So he is, he plays Watson in the BBC Sherlock Holmes series from the 60s, which ran for two seasons. Uh, the first season, Douglas Wilmer played Sherlock Holmes. He refused to come back for the second season because of some things that went on behind the scenes. So Peter Cushing plays Sherlock Holmes in the second season. Uh, sadly, a lot of those episodes were wiped, like so many British shows were wiped back in the 60s. But the episodes that do survive, the BBC were stored beautifully a few years ago, and we were able to get them on DVD. It's just such a wonderful show. So Nigel Stock was Watson in now, that Do you show. think that's uh, like stunt casting? That they I'm put sure it must be. he had played Watson? Yeah, I'm sure it must be stunt casting because he he would have been very well known in the UK uh, in 1985 for playing that character in the late 60s. Um, And then even just thinking about stunt casting, it was it's neat. Patrick Newell, uh, who we were mentioning just a minute ago, I think the bakery shop that uh, Watson walks by is uh, P. Newell's Bakery. So uh, they were even giving a little uh, nod there to Patrick Newell, who I think had played. I think he played Lestrade in an earlier Sherlock Holmes, maybe. So there's some more stunt casting. And then the last name I would just want to mention is the older Watson who narrates it. So you never see him, but you hear an older Watson narrating the movie. That's Michael Hordern, who is a very well-known character actor in uh, the UK, who just has a wonderful voice. And we know and love him because we're fans of The Wind in the Willows. And there was a wonderful... Uh, television series, stop motion television series that ran for several years. And he was the voice of Badger in that. So it's just like this movie has such a wonderful cast for people like us. You know, the the four stars are wonderful in their roles. But then these three other little um, minor characters are just a treat for us to see. So uh, thank you for wanting to record with us about this because it gave us an excuse to watch this movie again. (laughs) We had a lot of fun revisiting it. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think I have to uh, give a, a, an extra agreement with you on the, the narration, and this is wonderful. He has a tremendous voice for it, yes. and, and, yeah. and the tone that he he affects as he's giving it is just all wonderful. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
So all of that said, how do you rank it? Ah, I can dive in first if that's all right. Absolutely. I will say it's Jaws. I love it. It's entertaining. It, you know, I'm there for the adventure, the mystery, the fun, the characters, um, you know, the emotional journey that happens throughout the movie. So, you know, it's a hit on so many levels for me. So that's my evaluation. And just so charming and just stands up with time. So highly like recommend it. Yeah, like, like Paul mentioned earlier, it doesn't feel dated or look dated at all. It, I, you know, I think I'm going to have to agree. I mean, I've I've read the critical reviews of this movie where they point out some of the things that are, you know, maybe leave it a little underwhelming. I I look at this movie and it's just from beginning to end, I'm caught up in the story. I'm right there with Holmes and Watson and Elizabeth going on for the adventure. You know, whether or not it's, you know, more of a adventure movie than a mystery, I could care less because it's respectful of Sherlock Holmes and it's just a, a fun, adventurous light movie that's a delight every time I see it. So, yeah, it's Jaws for me. Yeah, I am going to give it the kind of the double uh, review and I'm going to say it's Jaws for me. I, I think this movie is is just fun. I don't really have any any serious criticisms of it at all. Uh, it, it, there's, there's nothing about it that lets me down. Uh, mm. But what I'm going to say is for others who mm. don't have some of the nostalgia that I do, maybe it's a Jaws 2. Yeah. But I don't see it under, under any circumstances being worse than that. Oh, that's a perfect way to phrase it. I, I would never... You know, anybody who said this is just a good movie, which is a Jaws 2, in my opinion, I would never disagree with that. I would. So I, I think you're right. It's nowhere below that. And it, it's at least that. And if you can just get into the fun sense of adventure, it's even better than that. I agree. Absolutely. So that will do it for young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you know what? It, it just I'm just at a glance. I just saw. Uh, and I guess this was the thought process when they were considering making it a, a series of movies that it was also known as Young Sherlock Holmes and the Pyramid of Fear. Mm, mm, mm. I didn't know that until I just saw it this second. So I figured I'd throw mm. that. Already had a subtitle uh, for it for the yeah, trilogy. So, and, and I guess that would be much like Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah, and Jones. whatever. Uh, and yeah, the yeah. That's, that's probably a Steven Spielberg influence. In that. Uh, <laughs> But just the same, you know, that's it for this movie. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on. And as always, I just want to you know, give you the opportunity to tell everybody where they can find you. Well, please come in and listen to our podcast. We would love that. Um, we we love talking about our fun stuff. We talk about Trekker, Ron Randall's Trekker sci-fi comic on Trekker Talk. Uh, Mark Schultz, wonderful Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series, Xenozoic Tales on our Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast. And the wonderful worlds of Mike Grell and all of his great cre uh, creations on Warlord Worlds. But the best place to follow us is at Rad Adventures because at Rad Adventures you'll find all of those podcasts. And we're on YouTube and we're on Facebook and Twitter and we're on Spotify all the, and all the usual places. All the usual yeah. places. So please listen. And um, But more importantly, 
go watch her, uh, young Sherlock Holmes. That's more uh-huh. important. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just commenting on, on your uh, show is uh, Ruth and Darren have introduced me to Ron Randall, who has now appeared on this show a couple of times. And, and I, I'm, Happy to say I now consider him a friend, and mm. I appreciate your introducing me to him. And I'm still waiting for you to introduce me to Mike Grell. Oh, well, we can do that. We can do that, yeah. <laughs> Mike Grell is, is uh, you know, Ron Ron is wonderful. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong for a second. But I was not really familiar with Ron's work until you familiarized me with it, and now I love it. Right. Uh, oh, that's great but Mike Grell, I grew up loving his work. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a, no, a whole other story right there. Well, we have to make that happen sometime. We just hung out with him for spent a whole weekend with him a couple of weeks ago. So at uh, Heroes Con. So we got to find a chance to uh, share that with you, Paul. Yeah, well, I, I can't tell you how much I'd look forward to that. Well, just if nothing else, just as we talked about before we started recording, getting a chance for us to all hang out together. Oh, but, that would be so much fun. If we get to do that, you might hear about it on Back to the Bins. <laughs> so everybody who's listening, I'll let you uh, go on that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, thank you guys again for coming on with me. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Gentlemen, we cannot permit ourselves lapses in concentration. We must work on technique, on rhythm, and on balance. I can think of no better pupil to help me illustrate proper form and technique than Holmes. Our stance, our movements, and our style. On guard. Touche. One important factor, his emotions took over. He ignored discipline. Never replace discipline with emotion. Well played, Holmes.